0: Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. My name is Alex Rue of BTN.com and it is time to talk week two of college football. Time to get into everything we saw this past weekend and to look ahead to week three as well. This is another football-focused edition of the Take 10 Podcast and for those who missed our first edition last Wednesday, during the college football season I'll have BTN.com writer Tom Deanhart, aka Mr. Big Ten, aka the B1G Encyclopedia, I'll have him call in and Tom and I will be joined by a national college football writer to help put the week's events in Big Ten football in particular in a proper perspective. So this week for the Football Focus Edition, we're joined by longtime national college football writer, Ralph Russo of the Associated Press, and we got into plenty of pigskin talk, including what went wrong with Ohio State and their loss to Oklahoma, how Penn State is looking like the team to beat in the Big Ten, college football playoff contenders, Baker Mayfield's flag-planting skills, and a whole lot more. So before we jump into that discussion, first I want to apologize if the audio is a bit choppy. It's it's always kind of a crapshoot on these conference calls how clear they come in, but uh, we powered through and and hopefully it comes across well enough on your end. So apologies in advance for for that. Um, Secondly, I just want to remind everyone, if they haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite online listening platform. We are on iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts. We're on Podbean, Google Play, and maybe you're listening on SoundCloud. If you are, be sure to go subscribe on one of those uh, one of those online podcast listening services. And of course, leave a rating and review if you like the show as well. So now that those reminders, apologies, etc., introductions are all out of the way, we'll get right into the discussion with the AP's Ralph Russo. I'm very pleased to be joined this morning once again by Tom Deanhart, calling in from his home just outside St. Louis, and we're bringing in another national writer to help put Big Ten football in a wider perspective this morning. Um, It's Ralph Russo. He's a national college football writer for the Associated Press, and we'll get his thoughts on what transpired this weekend and what he's looking forward to in week three. Ralph, thanks for joining us, and uh, how are you doing this morning?
1: Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely, and we are going to start these episodes off uh, every week with some initial impressions of what we saw the previous weekend. Just a quick synopsis right off the bat before we take a deeper dive into what actually happened. Um, Tom, we'll start with you. First of all, what did you see from the Big Ten just off the top of your head?
2: I tell you what, Penn State continues to impress me. I don't think any team in the conference has looked as good as the Nittany Lion coming out of the gate. Uh, I know they haven't played you know, marquee opponents yet. But still, they, they did what they were supposed to do against first Akron and then Pitt. Uh, they didn't just win, but they dominated. They okay, with offense, defense, special teams. Um, I think they're establishing themselves as the best team in the conference. And then, of course, Ohio State and, and the worries there. Ugly home loss to the Oklahoma. Will they ever get the passing game figured out on offense? And, guys, can they stop the pass on defense? The last two games, Indiana. And the Sooners uh, have really abused the Buckeyes in the secondary.
0: Yeah, Tom, how about Nate Stanley at Iowa? A uh, big win over Iowa State. Nate threw for, uh, I believe, five touchdowns and, and over 300 yards to the first Iowa quarterback to do that in 30 years. Um, do you think you think that's a sign of things to come, or do you think it's just a hot start for, for Nate Stanley?
2: Yeah, Chuck Hartley, get out your Ralph remembers, Chuck Hartley at Iowa 1987, so <laughs> yeah, you know, not, 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 not. Ralph and I are old timers, I guess, but yeah, you know what, you're right, Alex, Nathan looked uh, good for Iowa, he was a big word coming in, he was going to be the quarterback with C.J. Beathard gone? Um, drove his team a 10-point deficit into overtime and won the game on their rivals home field at Iowa State, so you know what, not only did he look good, guys, but... Iowa looks like it may actually have some playmakers or wide receiver, which is always an annual problem. They're getting offensive explosions. Mm -hmm. So, yes, wide receivers could make this Iowa off pretty good this year. Yeah,
0: how about you, Ralph? Uh, Feel free to include some Big Ten teams in your analysis if you want, but on a national level as well. What stood out to you? Just some initial impressions from from Week 2.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely start with the Big Ten, and, I, and I'll run to the team if, if they played a long time ago with teams because they played on Friday night. But boy, I, I really love the hiring of Jeff Brom at Purdue, and through two weeks, they are interesting and fun. Um, I, their offense looks like a lot like the offenses that he coached at Western Kentucky, which means explosive and diverse and and varied. I think Purdue has a chance to be maybe not great, but uh, competitive throughout this season, and that's a great and that's a fun start for, for a program that's been down for a while. Uh, on the negative side, really surprised at how poorly Northwestern has played uh, and how they got thumped this weekend. I, I thought Northwestern could contend in the in the Big Ten West, uh, maybe a bit of a sleeper team to even win that division, and and I said was really surprised at how poorly they competed uh, you know we talk a lot about ohio state's passing game um you know michigan too is in a i think a somewhat similar boat in that i think they have some limitation that quarterback that they're just going to have to deal with this year uh that they sort of dealt with last year not that spade is a bad player but he is again somewhat of a limited player uh, and with breaking in all those new receivers, I just think there's a certain box that, that they're going to be limited to offensively, and they're just going to have to make it work there. Uh, and I think from a broader perspective, you know, the national champion that Clemson got, I shouldn't say disrespected or forgotten about, you know, they were number five in the rankings coming in. So it's not like people were, were sort of dismissing Clemson. But I think they made a pretty good statement with, A, how good that defense is, and, B, that they're not going to be so hampered at quarterback. Kelly Bryant looks like he's got a pretty good idea of what he's doing, and a lot of those other skilled position guys that they had to replace, they had some viable replacement there. They're, they still have to answer some questions, questions about the running game, but I think Clemson, you know, especially considering what happened at Florida State with his quarterback – Clemson certainly looks like a pretty legit pick to get back to the playoff now.
0: Sure, and, and just in my eyes, um, looking at the conference and, and the Oklahoma-Ohio State game has a lot to do with this, but after a really was a all-around strong weekend in, in Week 1, I think the Big Ten unquestionably took a step back in Week 2. And I, I know for fans listening, this is pretty much completely secondary in their minds. They care about their teams and not nearly as much about how the conference as a whole is performing. But, I mean, if you get into it, starting with the Ohio State game, like I said, it's the primetime game going down to Oklahoma um, by a couple scores. Michigan kind of sleepwalking through their first few quarters. Nebraska just getting bludgeoned in that first half out at Oregon. Uh, Wisconsin didn't really really dominate uh, an inferior opponent. And then you see how these individual team performances kind of fit into that larger narrative. And and while it might not matter to fans right now how the conference is performing, the narrative of uh, strength will come up when that college football playoff committee meets to decide who warrants entry into the playoff um, down the road. So I think it's important to kind of assess how the conference performed as a whole at the beginning of of these shows each week. And and in that same vein, I'm going to get into an article you wrote immediately after the 31-16 defeat at the hands of Oklahoma, uh, Tom. You wrote about Ohio State. Can you elaborate on uh, the difficulties you saw in the passing game for Ohio State? And and do you think uh, their season hinges now on, on making some adjustments, especially on offense?
2: Yeah, Barrett doesn't look like the same passer to me that he was in 2014, of course, when he really was the quarterback most of that national championship year before, of course, getting hurt and giving away to Cardell Jones. Um, You know, I, I, I think uh, a lot of people thought Kevin Wilson was going to come in there as a new O.C., sprinkle some fairy dust on, on that, that offense and, and make it better from a passing standpoint. But it, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. And I'm, I'm not going to blame this all on the Ohio State wide receivers, I think there's talent there, led by by Paris Campbell in particular. Um, I just think, you know, like Ralph alluded to, Wilton Spade having limitations as a passer. Again, I think the same can be said as far as Bear goes. Um, so, you know, throwing the ball downfield. Um, you just you can't ask people to do stuff that I'm good at. So, yeah, Alex, I think they're going to have to adjust and and build on what Bear can do. Maybe rely on his athleticism as a runner a little bit more and then maybe come up and identify the four, five or six passes that he does throw well and just try to build around those. Um you know, the season certainly isn't lost for Ohio State. Flashback again to two thousand fourteen, remember, they lost that home by fourteen points to Virginia Tech. And people were shoveling dirt on Ohio State then. And again we know how that story unfolded. So there's still plenty of time left, plenty of big games left. Ohio State to still be a real factor in getting that
0: college football playoff, perhaps. Ralph, uh, is Ohio State th- still a threat to make the uh, college football playoff in your eyes? And if not, uh, which I team, do. which team is now the biggest threat in the Big Ten? If uh, if Ohio State isn't that that premier uh, premier factor.
1: Yeah, I, I do think they are because they're so talented in so many different places that the idea of of Ohio State going on a run where they don't lose another game is just simply not far-fetched. Uh, you know, I, I do think that they're boxed in to a certain degree where when you talk about fixing the passing game, there's fixing in a way that rectifies the problem. In other words, you have something that you don't do well and then you fix it and now you do it well. You need to create more explosive plays downfield. Or you can fix it by working around your limitations. I think that's what they sort of did last year and they got exposed by clemson i have a feeling that that's the box that they're in this year and this is the more interesting thing for me and you know tom i'd be interested to hear your opinion about because you're you know you're closer to big 10 country all the time the idea of what to do with jt barrett it, it goes beyond just you know sort of plays and yards per pass and things along those lines there's a there's an intrinsic value and, and sort of a chemistry deal that's going on here. This is a guy who has been with that team for five years. He has, a, he has that locker room. He's a leader. The coaches have loyalty to him. The players, the other players have loyalty to him. So even if you're Urban Meyer and you look at Dwayne Haskins and you go, you know what, maybe this guy can do some things, and I should maybe look to try to get him involved, and maybe we can flip some things on this offense if I try something different. How do you do that without just wrecking the chemistry of your team? And I think that's where Ohio State is. And when I say, like, there's the fix is you fix by simply working around your limitations and maxing out from there. Because I don't know if they can move away from JT. I I just think that there's a whole level of other issues there that might come up if
2: they try.
0: Tommy, you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Ralph talked about uh, the fact how important Barrett's been in this program. A fifth-year player, uh, I think he's the first junior ever to be a captain at Ohio State. So that sort of gives me the idea of what his teammates have thought about him the last couple of years, in particular. And you don't want to, you know, you don't want to cut the cord on Barrett and do something as crazy and drastic as making a quarterback change. I think some people may have even been alluding to after the tough loss on Saturday night. So, like Ralph said, work around the limitations. You have to find things people can do well, like I said, uh, and don't ask them to do stuff they can't do. This offense is never going to be like, when you say, the Penn State 1994 offense with Kerry Collins and Bobby Ingram, where they're throwing lasers 60 yards downfield and racking up big points and big, big passing yards. It's every game. You know, again, focus on what you can do. Use Barrett's athleticism and find the uh, find the type of passes he can throw, guys. There's a couple big challenges left on this schedule. Um Ralph talked about them probably running the table. They do have a good shot, of course. They have the visit from Penn State. And they have those two tough road games at Iowa and at, at Michigan, which will come really to find their season. So plenty of opportunities for the Buckeyes still to impress.
0: Yeah, I think we're all in agreement yeah. that, that Ohio State uh, has a, just a still pretty good shot to make the college football playoff. They're by no means out of it. But I see – three other teams in the Big Ten is having legit chances at this point. Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan as uh, as the other threats to make the college football playoff. So I'm curious, Ralph, who you think out of the Big Ten besides Ohio State poses the biggest threat right now? Because the way Penn State looked, as Tom has mentioned, I think they're at the top of my list personally, so I'm interested to get your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I, I would be a, a with Tom on that. And I would say that, you know, I, as much as I, I said – Ohio State certainly has the, what, the talent to do it. It's hard to see them doing it at this point. I wouldn't project them, And I do, I, I do agree with you on Penn State. I know they haven't played the best of talent, of the best of opposition. But to me, the thing that really stood out is just how much better that defense has played. If the offense is going to be similar to last year, and the defense takes a big step forward. Now you've got a serious contender. Now you've got a team that can really rock and roll. Uh, what they do with Barkley in the passing game and things along those lines is terrific. Again, the, the offense, I think, should be there. Um, but for them to take a step forward defensively, um, you know, I, I, I pointed this out in a call a couple of weeks ago. In the first three years under James Franklin, I think to show some kind of improvement here, the first three years under James Franklin since they played at least played a, played a MAC team early in the season they won all three of their games but i believe the average final score was something to the extent of 27-13 I, I apologize if i'm quoting that number a little wrong but it's about the ballpark 27-13 or so was the average score so to me when you beat Akron 56 to nothing or 56 to 3 or whatever it was that is a significant moment to a certain degree. That does show you that, like, hey, we've taken a big step forward of the program, we're now back to being a power program. So I would say Penn State's number one there. Again, I I still want to see Michigan um, develop a little more offensively. I want to see those defensive players a little more. Wisconsin, uh, again, I think might have some offensive limitations in the passing game as well. It seems to be a theme throughout the, uh, the Big Ten. But I think Penn State has a chance to be the team that separates itself. From the rest of the conference, so
0: we've got the Big Ten contenders kind of sorted out. Um, Got Oklahoma and Alabama looking really strong, and they'll probably be in the conversation all year. Ralph, who else is looking primed to to be in that conversation once the committee starts putting their rankings out and deliberating? Because you mentioned Clemson also uh, made a statement. What are some other teams that are going to be in that in that range of uh, college football playoff consideration?
1: Yeah, the fun thing about Clemson is they're going to get a, the chance to back it up this week against Lamar Jackson and Louisville. Um, if nothing else, you know, the, the, the amazing thing about Jackson is, you know, he, he's talking about another guy who's sort of gotten sort of got pushed to the side in the offseason because, well, he, he didn't finish the year last year very well, and... You know, is he that great of a passer and things along those lines? All the nitpicking criticism. The guy has been phenomenal again, and he may even be better than he was last year. So that would be a good test for Clemson. If Clemson can survive that test, now all of a sudden you're sort of over the early season hump and looking like um, the possibility of really gaining some momentum toward the middle and end of the season. I think you have to have Clemson in that conversation, I think, out west. USC took a very significant step last week against Stanford as well. Stanford has really owned USC over the last few years, and one of the ways they've done it is sort of punched USC in the mouth and been the tougher, more physical team, and USC gave it right back to Stanford last week. I think that was a major hurdle by running for 300 yards. I assume we're going to see Washington hang around for most of the year, though they start the season with a bunch of patsies. I think that's sort of your pool, and it'll be interesting to see if Oklahoma State can be a really big challenge to Oklahoma. Again, sort of the same way as Penn State. Oklahoma State hasn't played particularly tough competition, but the fact that they've made it look so easy and played well defensively, to me, is more than just, okay, well, they beat a couple of patsies. I think that's a somewhat significant sign.
0: Yeah, it'll be definitely interesting to follow as we we move along. Um, And before we move on to to some of the other teams in the Big Ten, I wanted to... Just uh, wrap up a little more on Penn State, Tom. I'm curious to get your opinion. First of all, who do you think is the best uh, threat? I guess to stop them in the Big Ten. Because when I look at that offense, uh, what's going to stop a great offense? It's going to be a great defense. And I think I think Michigan with that defense they have, it's going to be a really interesting matchup, especially a rematch of the beatdown they put on them last year. So, Tom, what are your uh, I guess what are your thoughts on who is the biggest threat to? to knock Penn State off um, off that pedestal.
2: You're exactly right, Alex. That old adage, uh, great defense almost always trumps great offense in every sport. And um, you talked about the defense uh, in particular earlier, or out there too, about Michigan's defense. Only had one starter coming back this year, but I what, out of the gates, it looks like coordinator Don Brown has a pretty formidable defense once again. So, you know, that could be an interesting challenge for the Penn State offense, but again that game issues in Beaver State and of course Penn State is gonna be thinking payback after getting whipped in an argo last year. So honestly really the biggest hurdle I think we have known this since since that June July is is the game at Ohio State at the end of October. Um you know, for all the issues we talked about the Buckeyes have on offense and defensively in the back end, guys the front seven for Ohio State is one of the best front sevens in college football. Some people think the line's the best in America. So, again, anytime you're good up front like that, you have a chance to shut down an offense. Maybe they can at least mute or limit Saquon Barkley and then get some pressure of containing Trace McSorley. Uh, Again, that Buckeye defense is is very strong, and, again, that's got to be, again, the biggest hurdle Penn State's going to have to clear this year.
0: Yeah, and I know the... uh... The phrase that everyone's getting tired of hearing is that Nick is on that D-line and isn't even, he doesn't even start because they're so deep. And I know we're already tired of hearing it, but it's so true that it speaks to the strength of that Ohio State defense. Ralph, uh, before we move on, I did want to get your thoughts on uh, some remarks that James Franklin made after that Penn State-Pitt game. Uh, Tom and myself, we know the, the personalities and the tendencies of these coaches uh, so well by now, having spent time around them. And we know James Franklin's philosophy is—it's the one he pounds into his players and repeats to reporters at all the at the weekly press conferences. It's that the uh, the immediate game on their schedule is everything; it's all they're focused on, and, and then they move on to the next one and repeat it week after week. So after the Pitt game, for those who didn't hear, he said, uh, "I know last year beating beating us for them was like the Super Bowl. This was just like beating Akron for us," in, in reference to Pitt. And he went on to say, uh, "I've been saying this for two years." You can interpret it however you want. I've been saying this for two years, that each win is like the Super Bowl for us, so you can interpret it however you want. Last week we beat Akron, and it was a great win. This week we beat Pitt, and it was a great win. This win is no more significant to us than last week was. So my question to you, Ralph, having been around college football coaches for a long time and knowing you know, generally their personalities, is: is do these comments even like register with coaches at other programs? Um, does it get under their skin, or does the, the coaching fraternity, so to speak, understand what he's trying to do? That instilling that mindset into his team and not really mind when a uh, fellow coach or rival coach says that at a presser?
1: Well, here's the thing. I I, I get what James is trying to do, and it does fit into his overall philosophy, right? The the tweets that will come out in the middle of the beginning of the week, you know, Akron, 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 whatever team that they're playing. I'm sure there was a Georgia State, Georgia State, Georgia State this week. I get that. But you also have to get something else these two staffs don't, don't love each other. It's as simple as that. I, I, th- I think that there is some some true, like animosity might be a nice word for it. I don't want to overblow it, but I don't think Pitt and Penn State love each other. I, it's as simple as that. And I, and I think the fact that Pitt sort of puts so much emphasis or there's so such an emphasis around the Penn State game from the Pitt program, I think does sort of, kick off the Penn State program a little bit. So, I understand what James Franklin was trying to do. I don't think he was necessarily trying to to take a, a pot shot at... Uh, in other words, I don't think his, 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 he was leading with a pot shot against Pittsburgh, but I don't think he was necessarily uh, upset if that was necessarily the way it was, it was perceived. I'll put it that way. I, I don't think these two staff love each other, so I think that there was a little bit of a, you know, I think Pitt probably heard it the way they heard it and will, and will react that way to it, like it, it was a shot. And I think from Franklin and Penn State standpoint, there might have been a little bit of, hey, just know your place, Pitt.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I will say that You know, it's much better than a coach just getting up there and spouting cliches for 15 minutes. At least it it spices things up. So I do appreciate that on Franklin's end. Um, Moving on now to some of the disappointments we mentioned earlier out of week two. And I want to get Tom's thoughts on this, especially in regards to a couple of teams that Tom and we uh, were speculating on Big Ten sleepers. In the West, we both brought up Nebraska and Northwestern as potential sleepers, and they both had pretty underwhelming weeks this past weekend. Um, so, Tom, I'm, I'm curious, how do you fix what's going on at Nebraska? Because right now that defense can't stop anybody. They gave up 42 points in the first half out there at Oregon. Granted, Oregon always has a very powerful offense, but it's it's not something that Nebraska fans are used to, not being able to stop anyone on the defensive side of the ball. So, Tom, is this just be- because uh, – some early side effects of Bob Diaco trying to overhaul that defense and it's just an adjustment period or do you think this is a legitimate long-term concern?
2: I think it's an adjustment period. Uh, talking to some coaches even before the year, uh, going from a 4-3 to a 3-4 scheme is, is a pretty radical alteration that's, that's not going to show real benefits immediately. Uh, it could end up being a struggle all year, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure if the personnel there is all perfect to run the 3-4 defense. Um, so, again, this could be an adjustment in that it lasts a full calendar year. Um, so, again, I wouldn't be shocked if that defense continues to bleed points and perhaps the Nebraska offense is going to have to maybe outscore opponents for the Huskers to really have a successful season. And I think the Nebraska offense can do that uh, with Tanner Lee and then Stanley Morgan and the more personnel and Trey Bryant. So, again, I'm... Um, a big, a big adjustment defensively for those guys. They just shut out Oregon in the second half. Alex Booth, Alex but again, it, the game was basically over at halftime. When the band was playing, and again, just as a side note, a team out in the Ralph area about the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Ralph, um, I, I feel sorry for Chris Ass, but after he looked so good against Washington in the opener, they turned around and the first team ever, first power five opponent ever to lose to uh, Eastern Michigan. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was
1: heartily disappointing. I know from a Rutgers standpoint. I, you know, again, they had played so much. What what they did against Washington looked so much better than what it looked like last year. Last year, when they were essentially non-competitive against any team with a pulse, and, and they at least looked like okay. You know what? This looks like college football team. Right? <laughs> I came away from Washington thinking like got a couple of backs who can maybe move the line a little bit. There are some, they're doing some things defensively that at least are disruptive. And, and then to come out and lose to Eastern Michigan, though, I will say this. There, I think there's also something to be said for this, Tom. You know, Eastern Michigan has had Chris Creighton has been there for, this is year four or five. There's some continuity there. They sort of know what they are and know what they're doing. They have an identity. And I think for a team like Rutgers that is still, with all these transfers and sort of, still trying to find what, what exactly they are, Sometimes that that can lead to this type of loss. I think that you can see a team that sort of knows what it is, even if it's not that talented, knows what it is against a team that is still trying to find an identity and get some chemistry. And you know, I, I my sense is that it will get better for Rutgers this year. I thought that they could maybe win a, a Big Ten game or two, um, but that was really deflating.
0: Ralph, how do you how do you fix? Uh... What's going on in Nebraska? Do you think it's fixable, or do you think they're just going to have to, like Tom said, outscore opponents every game? Because they do, to be fair, they do have a really solid offense, and they showed it in the second half against Oregon, almost coming back and tying that game up. But is this something that can be rectified in, in one year with a new coordinator?
1: Uh, my sense is probably going to be a tough year. I mean, the one thing I guess where they get a break is, I'm looking at their schedule, Northern Illinois, Rutgers, mm-hmm. Illinois over the next three weeks. So that gives you time to actually fix some things and to get settled into that 3-4. Uh, but as Tom mentioned, you know, aside from the fact that making that switch is difficult, it didn't necessarily look like they had the personnel to pull it off smoothly either. So that's a big problem too. And then the back end of their schedule is loaded with teams that mostly play pretty good offense. So... You know, do they salvage the season and still have a pretty good year? I think that's certainly there, but you know, I think we're getting back to the bigger, you know, sort of existential issues with Nebraska. If they win seven or eight games, this is not when Nebraska wants to be, and you'll have a, a fan base that's been a, a, a sort of a, that's been in sort of a a, 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 a a constant state of disarray and wondering where they're going. I don't think that changes
2: after this year.
0: Yeah, I agree, uh, hey. Tom. Are you, are you more worried about Nebraska or Northwestern? Um, I know our sleepers are not, are not looking too hot right now, but which team do you think is in a better position to, to turn it around?
2: Hey, real quick, Ralph. i got a tribute question for you. When was the last time Nebraska won a conference
1: championship?
2: Uh, it
1: was, a, it was a, a few iterations of conferences ago, wasn't
2: it? 1999. Yeah, they won a Big 12.
1: Right, they did yeah, win a big twelve.
2: High. That was the last conference championship. But to Alex's question, I still think I still think the Northwestern is better equipped to try to get their act together than than, than Nebraska this year. Um, I like the athleticism and speed on the Northwestern defense. I know they just got shredded for forty-one points, but that they got some injuries in the secondary that are really hampering that defense right now. And offensively, I know they they struggle up front to get a consistent push, but Clayton Thorson, Justin Jackson uh, are always a good starting point for any offense, and uh, again, I like the Wildcats' chances. Alex the Nebraska, because I think to really maybe, yeah, at least a semblance
0: of a threat to Wisconsin and the West. Yeah, Tom. Uh, if ninety-nine, that 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 bit of trivia, um, ninety-nine was last year. Nebraska won a conference title. That means our alma maters, Purdue and Illinois, have won conference championships more recently than Nebraska, and that's saying something.
2: Think about that. Yeah, think
0: about that. All right, moving on a little bit. uh, Ralph, uh, with, honestly, this week's slate of games, the Big Ten, not all that compelling, especially compared to the last couple weeks, which had a lot of compelling matchups. But uh, Ohio State does play Army, and, Ralph, I wanted to get into a story you wrote about a former Army football player named Brandon Jackson. Uh, Just a little background. Jackson was killed in a car accident almost exactly a year ago on September eleventh, 2016. And I do encourage the listeners to read Ralph's story about Brandon. It's, it's pinned to the top of his Twitter profile as we speak. And, and, Ralph, just for you to keep a story that was written a year ago pinned to your profile, first of all, that signifies obviously a great deal of importance to you. So so what kind of impact did that story have on you writing it and what impact did Brandon Jackson have on, on his Army teammates and coaches?
1: Yeah, in some ways, Jackson's story, and you're right, it was it was a year ago, Um it, it it stuck with me to a sense in, in, in certain ways because I'm from Queens and so is he. So I felt a little bit of a kinship there with, he went to the rival high school that I, you know, obviously he played a lot, a lot more recently than I did, right. but he played at my my rival high school. So there was a certain kinship again, again there and, and going to cover his funeral as I did last year. Um, it just struck me, you know first of all what a what an interesting and admirable kid this was and also what that meant to the army football team to have that happen early in the season and still go on to really last year was a big turnaround season for army they had had a really hard time figuring out the right formula to win at army you know and and they had a pretty solid year Capped by beating Navy, which was an enormous, enormous victory, and they dedicated last season to to, to Brandon Jackson, a cornerback. He was a really good player. He started as a freshman. He was going to be considered a big part of that defense last year as a sophomore before he was killed. And the fact that they sort of rallied around this horrible thing that happened um, struck me. And, and also, again, like the, the life that he led in a very short time, inspiring so many people, but also bringing together his team and his old team and his mother, who was a, a New York City police officer. There was just so many threads to that story. And he, he led such an interesting and impactful life, even though it lasted a very short period of time. So in a sense, his story meant a lot to me. And if you lead that over to what Army football has become, Um, Again, sort of away from Brandon, but sort of the bigger picture, they finally have gotten it right at Army. And to, as someone who is just a college football fan, I think that makes you feel good. I think it should make you feel good. I think you want Army and Navy to be competitive and good at football. So when they play at the end of the year, you're not sure who's going to win, and it it doesn't make a, a lot. Doesn't make any difference as far as the playoff race and the Heisman Trophy and all those things that we talk about in college football. But it's the purest rivalry in college football, and if Army and Navy can be competitive and good, I think that makes college football better because those. That's if there's one last bastion of purity in college football. It's Army Navy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I encourage everyone to check out that story that Ralph wrote. It's pinned to his Twitter page. And yeah, I mean, just being in the Big Ten, we're. I feel like we're so far removed from, from following schools like Army Navy, and and it's it always like it's always a reminder to me. It strikes me as. Crazy that oh yeah these are these are service members that are playing football so not only are they student athletes but you know they're also literally enlisted in in, in the army the navy and of course air force we see them going to Michigan as well and it always just blows my mind at how much uh, commitment and, and like you said it speaks to like you said the last bastion of purity in, in college football and it's always fun to see them match up at the end of the year um, we'll transition now into a segment that we're going to try and do every week when Tom and I bring in our national guests. Uh, we'll make you pick one team whose stock is soaring and one team whose stock is sliding. So we'll ca- call it a uh, sliding and soaring stock here. Tom, will make your teams be in the Big Ten, and Ralph will open it up yours to uh, uh, the national scale. So let's start with you, Tom. Um, one team whose stock is soaring in the Big Ten and one who is sliding right now.
2: Can make a case for several teams who are soaring, Ralph you know, talked about Purdue early on in this segment, uh, Alex, Illinois, fighting Illini line I are two and 2-0, but as it go down to play a good South Florida team, Minnesota, sure. they're rolling the boat up there, P.J. Flex 2-0, and 0. Um, Michigan's unbeaten. Still, I guess i gotta, I got to default back to Penn State, again, the team I talked about right off the top of this, uh, this podcast. Um, we've gone over their strengths, so again, to me, they're soaring and should continue to soar, I think, all the way to the Big Ten East title this year. And then, of course, as far as the the, the I guess the decliners stock uh, going down. Um, again, uh, you got to talk about Ohio State to a degree. Are they a legit playoff team? And uh, again, Rutgers too. Um, we discussed them shortly a uh, short time ago, and that loss to Eastern Michigan um, was just a just a tough defeat for for Chris Ashton's second year out there in New Brunswick.
0: All right, Ralph. Again, we'll open your options up to the uh, entire country but they can also be Big Ten teams if you want. Who's Whose stock is sliding and who's soaring for you?
1: Well, the soaring, Mention uh, mentioned Oklahoma quickly off the top, and not just because of it's not just it's Oklahoma that is soaring. I think Oklahoma is pulling the rest of the Big 12 with it to a certain degree. That victory could be something that the rest of the Big 12 drafts off of the rest of this season because they don't have a chance. The rest of the Big 12 teams really don't have the opportunity to have another marquee victory like that. So the, not only did Oklahoma do itself a favor, but it did the whole Big 12 a favor with that victory. I'll also take, you know, the, the, the team I watched in person this past weekend was Georgia, Notre Dame. And, you know, listen, Notre Dame's coming up a 4-8 season, and I think a lot of fans want to try to dismiss Notre Dame. I think they have a chance to be pretty good. What I think Georgia did by going on the road with a freshman quarterback is sort of show that like this is a pretty legit defense they have. Uh, you know, not, we're, we're looking for a second SEC team beyond Alabama that we think, okay, could this team maybe be a playoff contender? Could this team possibly challenge Alabama in a significant way? I'm not ready to put Georgia there yet, but again, that defense showed enough to me that makes me think I'm thinking in a very different light about Georgia now than after I saw than I, than before I saw them. So that would be my other team that I think is sort of soaring.
0: And then uh, who, who's uh, who's taking a dive for you, oh. sliding down your... your
1: uh... Yeah, yeah so aside from Ohio State, which again was a big flop of the weekend, I, I'll, I'll take it to Auburn and stay, sort of stick in the SEC because Auburn was that team that a lot of folks thought, okay, well maybe this is the team that can challenge uh, Alabama. Maybe this is the team that you know, can be that second SEC team that really comes up and has a monster year. I understand Clemson's defense is really good. There is no doubt they have four NFL players up front. But 11 sacks and 117 yards is just really not acceptable. I mean, it's just like you, you've got to be able to do a little better than that, even on the road against a good defense. And, and the problem becomes for Gus Malzahn is that this has been a trend. If it was just okay, we had a bad day against the, against a good team. You could sort of write it off, kind of like we we've talked about with Ohio State. This this the problems of Ohio State seem to be a trend. Problems at Auburn are a trend against good defenses. They just have not figured out what how to get that offense quite right all of last year, and then the first big challenge this year, they fall on their face with a new quarterback in Jared Stidham. So, you know, to me. That's the team that came. I came away from the weekend thinking, like, okay, like, why have things changed? From you've given me no reason to think that you're any better than you were last year, which is a pretty good defensive team, but but with no answers offensively.
0: All right, gentlemen, uh, we're going to take a peek ahead at what awaits us for Week Three. I mentioned a little bit earlier. There's not really a clear headliner like last week in the Big Ten with Oklahoma and Ohio State. Um, it's not. It doesn't have this slate. Doesn't have the sizzle that we've seen in the first two weeks. But we got a couple games that at least have some intrigue. Personally, I'm interested to see how uh, Purdue performs against a Mizzou team that just got smacked and uh, got rid of their defensive coordinator in the aftermath. Tom, which Big Ten games are you looking forward to in week three?
2: Yeah, that, that's probably it. Um, you know, going on the road. A uh, lot uh, talked about how, how impressive Purdue has looked. Out of the gate, they only lost by a touchdown 35-28 to, to Louisville to open the year. Of course, last Friday night, they an Ohio Bobcat team. A lot of people thought it was, was maybe the best in the Mac, or at least one of the best in the Mac. So, again, they go to Plumbing, Missouri, Saturday, playing the Zoo team in a little bit of disarray. Barry Hilton fires the Monte Cross, defensive offensive coordinator. Drew Locke looks so good in the opener. He struggled last week. Uh, Again, mean, there's a lot of questions there for, for the Missouri Tigers. And, again, Purdue comes in with a lot of momentum. So, boy, I tell you what, if they can come out of Columbia with a win to be 2-1 with Michigan next, um, you know, Purdue has a chance maybe to go from a team that could have won two or three games this year to maybe a team, if you look at the schedule, guys, maybe has a chance to get to six victories. And if that happens, boy, uh, pass off to Jeff Blom, guys, because remember this, the previous four years in West Lafayette, Purdue won nine games under Daryl Hazel, nine wins in four years, and they haven't won back-to-back games since 2012. So again, um, great opportunity for Purdue this weekend.
0: Yeah, if that happens, Tom, the party's on in, in West Lafayette. We already saw the uh, the fans showed up against Ohio. That was a, that was a good showing for the for the uh, Boilermaker faithful. I know they're really fired up, especially just like that feeling of having watchable football again. I know, like for me. As a Bears fan, I'm waiting for that to come back, and, and it applies at the college level as well. When when the watchable football comes back, it, it's it's really a, uh, a boost and, and can jumpstart the fan base. Um, so, how about on a national scale, Ralph? Give us some games to watch because, like I mentioned, uh, Big Ten games. A lot of a lot of uh, smaller schools are on the slate, so not a whole lot of sizzle. Um, let's hear some some national games to watch that we can uh, keep an eye on on Saturday.
1: Yeah, you know, it's these weekends where there's not a lot of games between ranked teams that often provide those, like, oh, boy, upsets, right? Those games where you're like, oh, that, that actually really does change things because I didn't expect that, you know, that ranked team to lose. And I'll give you a theme and then maybe some games. There's a bunch of ranked teams that are on the road. And, and you know, listen, road wins are hard. It, it's just as simple as that. So, we, you know, we talk about UCLA playing at Memphis, Memphis is a pretty good team. Now, they, they didn't play last week. They had a game canceled like a lot of teams did um, for weather. But Memphis is, is a pretty decent team, and at the noon kickoff for UCLA, or, or at least the noon kickoff Eastern, so 11 Central for UCLA, I think that's an interesting game to see just how far UCLA. UCLA looked pretty good the first couple of weeks, especially with that offense. If, we're gonna, if, if UCLA really has turned a corner, they'll show it in Memphis. Uh, Kansas State and Vanderbilt an interesting one, too. Vandy's played pretty good defense there. Um, uh, you know, I look at Wisconsin now. I think Wisconsin should be fine at number 10, B- at number 10 Wisconsin at BYU, because BYU's offense has been completely missing, totally a wash. But you go to BYU, you're in the altitude. You know, maybe there's something there where you sort of catch the Wisconsin off guard. BYU's still playing pretty decent defense, so maybe you get to an ugly game um, I just think these these ranked teams going on the road to play unranked teams, I bet you you're going to see one or two games that you come away from going, oh, the ranked team lost there. A little bit of an upset there. One of those games is going to go sideways.
0: Yeah, and uh, Wisconsin going to BYU, that's just another chance for us to see uh, Jonathan Taylor in action. He has really been a uh, revelation so far this season. Tom, we saw it when we were up in Madison. um. Oh during the BTN bus tour, they had, they had a scrimmage and, and Taylor just put on a show. And so none of this is really surprising to us, but, uh, it's, it's continues to be amazing how Wisconsin produces those, those feature backs year after year. And then on the national scale, um, Texas USC is, you know, probably not likely to be a great game at the Coliseum, but it, it's one for me that's kind of nostalgic because the Texas USC Rose Bowl in, in 2005, that was kind of like a, a, a bookmark on my childhood. Um, that game was amazing. So the rematch, just for nostalgia's sake, will be fun to see at the, at the Coliseum, even if the the game doesn't live up to it. Especially Texas coming off that uh, that loss to to Maryland. So those are those are a couple that I'm looking out for. Um, let's move on to to individual players because Tom, I, I don't want to speak for you here, but I think uh, you probably agree with me. We don't get enough exposure as we'd like to to some of the fantastic. Out of conference players, so so when the the Heisman contenders come out each year, there's always that one guy or a couple guys that I'm like, I'm like, all right, who's that? Well, what's his story? So for uh, for Big Ten fans who maybe have that same problem, Ralph, help us out here. Give me a guy or two outside of the Big Ten who is uh, a playmaker who is uh, just can't miss week in and week out.
1: You know, I'll throw a guy out there, and he's he's probably not going to be deeply in the Heisman race because he's going to get overshadowed by his teammate, and, and his teammate is Sam Darnold. Ronald Jones, the running back from USC. USC's tailback. U. They've had a great tradition of running backs. If it wasn't for Darnold, we would be talking a lot more about Ronald Jones. That he is—he is a superstar type running back. And again, like I said, you know, what kind of a what kind of a chance he has of being in the Heisman discussion is probably not great because he's got to getting overshadowed by his own his own teammate. But he is a hell of a player. I will give you another quarterback. Again, in the year of the quarterback with so many high profile guys. He's probably going to get lost in the mix. but Nick Fitzgerald, the Mississippi State quarterback, plays this week against a really at home against a really good LSU defense. If Mississippi State can pull this upset, uh, you may have a little bit of a Dak Prescott feel to, to Fitzgerald. I mean, he he's kind of that type of player, a multi-purpose quarterback, big strong runner with a pretty good arm. Still needs some refinement in that passing game. Um, I, I I sort of look at Fitzgerald as a guy who again has a chance to make a statement. Will he be a Heisman finalist or a Heisman winner? Probably not, but he has a chance to make a statement this weekend. So I'm keep an eye on what goes on in Starkville.
0: Yeah, it might end up just coming down to the two guys in in L.A. It's going to be an awesome race, or at least it should be, between uh, Josh Rosen and and Sam Darnold. um, Hey, hey, don't
2: forget about Lamar Jackson. Guys, a big game this weekend, and uh, Ralph talked about it. Remember, he's... He seems like the most anonymous pretending Heisman Trophy champion ever, right? He is really spectacular
1: to watch, too. I, I just think that we, we really have taken the guy for granted. Uh, again, when you saw what he did with North Carolina last and you know, because they're still having issues protecting him. Like, that hasn't gone away. Even against North Carolina, which is not a particularly great defensive team, there were times when he had to sidestep pressure, and he's never quite totally comfortable in the pocket because the, because his the tackles aren't very good, and yet still he went for 500 yards. Now, it'll be a lot tougher this week against Clemson, but uh, he is—he is a joy to watch, and I think we should stop nitpicking him and just enjoy the fact that we have this transcendent player in college football.
0: Yeah, Tom, we saw it firsthand against against Purdue, uh, week one. I mean, Purdue had him on the ropes, and then Jackson kind of, you know, woke up and was like, "All right, it's time to go here." And, and he, some of the displays of athleticism and the throws he was able to make—I mean, just being able to, to hit the his tight ends and receivers over the middle is something that I think people take for granted, like you mentioned. And it totally – Purdue just had no answer um, across the middle of the field. And then and then once that was opened up, he was just able to scramble when Purdue got any pressure. So it was it was really fun to watch him despite uh, Purdue being on the losing end of that outcome. All right, guys, uh, we're going to wrap up here in a moment. But before we do that, one thing I like to wrap up with is uh, getting a a big moment from the weekend. So something cool or just noteworthy from the weekend that we saw – in college football. Uh mine I'm going to start off. Mine has to be Oregon with their uniforms that were designed by uh childhood cancer survivors. It was pretty cool. They got to they got to design uh Oregon's uniforms against against Nebraska and they had the yellow awareness ribbon in the end zone and it, it was just a, a really good spotlight for that cause. So that that'll be my big moment of the weekend. Tom, will uh we'll get your thoughts first. Did you have do you have anything that was noteworthy that stood out to you over the weekend
2: well just just a couple uh, more on a national level was uh i was in bed counting sheep but while i was counting sheep washington, washington state had an epic epic comeback 31 to 10 deficit 11 minutes to go in the game against boise state ended up winning 44 to 41 in triple overtime we talked about ucla Tech and I'm in the opener that got a lot of publicity for the big comeback by the bruins but the cougars Again, the Rank Cougars and Mike Leach um, with one of the greatest comebacks in this very short season. So so that really stuck in my head. And you guys probably saw the highlight of Louisiana Tech against Mississippi State with the Bulldogs fumbled, kicked the ball downfield to the point yeah. where on the, on the time they recovered, it it was 3rd-93. So I can't say, Ralph, I won't speak for you, but have you ever seen a team in a 3rd-93 in a situation?
1: I, I can't, and I was just wondering, where exactly do you go in your playbook for that? Like, what what <laughs> section of your playbook? Do you have anything that sort of is, is that that is that the very last page? Is that the like if in doubt, like like break glass in case of emergency? Is that that part exactly playbook?
2: <laughs> pull pull in case of emergency. Break glass in case of Exactly right.
0: Yeah, and the comeback we saw uh, you mentioned with with Wazoo. It's, things get weird out west, man. Like once that midnight hour hits, you never know what's gonna happen. That's the second week in a row where you assume a game's over, and then you, you check your phone either the next morning or you look at a TV screen at a at a restaurant or bar, and, and you're like, "What just happened?" So it's 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 that uh it's that Pac-12 after dark that that gets you and sneaks up on you. Um, Ralph, do you have any other uh, any other moments that from the weekend that were cool or stood out to you in some unique way?
2: Yeah, well, I'll take again. I'll go back to the
1: game I was at, and that was Notre Dame Georgia. First of all, just kudos to Georgia fans for they had to have at least twenty thousand in the building, and it might have been more than that. Uh, There was a lot of red at Notre Dame, and you know it was also cool walking around campus and seeing the Georgia fans. Because I guess if you're like if you're Catholic and a Georgia fan, that might have been like the greatest moment of your life. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so neat to see them talking, to see them you know, taking pictures of Touchdown Jesus and all the other, you know, sort of symbol, you know, Catholic symbolism on campus. It was just a really neat thing to be part of. I think Georgia fans really embraced it. And to a certain degree, I think Notre Dame fans, like I understand that some Notre Dame fans are a little embarrassed that they got their stadium taken over, but I'll say this. Here's the thing I'll say. Be proud that your campus is sort of a college football shrine because it is. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is no places like Notre Dame and no matter what your record is, fans want to go to Notre Dame and B, like kudos to the Notre Dame fans and they really good business school. Cause I'm sure that they got like mortgage payments for some of those tickets. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to begrudge any fan that decides that like I can get a down payment of, on my car for these two tickets. So I'm going to like, I'll sit this one out.
0: Yeah, guys, it was, it was crazy here in Chicago. Um, they started coming in on Thursday. I saw when I was getting on the train to go home, I saw people wearing, uh, Georgia shirts, Georgia apparel and also Falcons gear. And it kind of hit me what was going on. And then just throughout the weekend, they they took over Chicago. They took over Wrigley Field on Friday for the Cubs game. Obviously took over South Bend on on Saturday. And then they uh, thousands of them, I'm sure hung around for the Bears Falcons game on Sunday. So it was really just the perfect weekend. I'm really jealous of those Georgia fans that got to not only, you know, come up here and probably see things and experience things they don't usually get to, but also pull out a couple of W's, and um, both were in exciting fashion. So I'm, I'm jealous of uh, the Georgia-Atlanta faithful. Um,
1: and before we go... if okay, I if I could add one more thing, to, just a yeah. you know, really cool thing that ha- happened at the end of that game. The Georgia fans formed a, a, a dog walk where they had fans sort of like forming a line from the locker room to the bus. So some, oh, of, the, yeah. some of the fans who were like, Parents and like close to the players were inside the gates, and they were they were forming a line from the locker room, and then outside the gates there were more fans that sort of continued the line. So they had a little dog walk from for the players, you know, congratulating them as they walked from the locker room to the bus. It was it was pretty neat. And again, so kudos to Georgia fans. And again, don't feel too bad, Notre Dame fans. You know, take pride in the fact that people want to see your place.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could hear the <coughs> Go Dogs chant on uh, TV during the Cubs game, and they completely took over in on Friday, and like I said, just really an ultimate weekend for college football and, and NFL fans down in Georgia. Um, and before we go, guys, we we can't have this episode without discussing the Baker Mayfield flag pla- plant. before we leave. Uh, I kind of turned away from the game, and then I, I looked up at the TV, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, what's he doing here? He, he's grabbing the flag from cheerleaders, unfurling it, taking a lap and, and trying to uh, plan it. In, in astroturf, and on the blocko at, at Ohio Stadium. So I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, on that and the flag plan and, and the ensuing apology that we saw on Monday. Was the was the apology necessary? Because personally, I don't think he had to apologize for anything. I think it was a, a fun moment. I think that's what people like about college football is that these guys are kids with with personality. So no harm, no foul in my eyes.
1: I mean, I think that flag plant is, is who Baker Mayfield is, right? I mean, the, the what makes Baker Mayfield so good is the fact that he planted that flag. Like that—that that, I hate to use the word moxie because I know that gets thrown around a lot for them, but that cockiness, that confidence, is what makes Baker Mayfield good.
2: Tom, he even had the headband—he he, he even had the headband on while he was making a lap around that flag, looked like a true warrior, I guess. Uh, you're right, Ralph. That sort of—I guess—embodied. Everything that makes Baker Mayfield feel great, the competitors are in him. I, I think maybe he got caught up in the moment. I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same as a 21, 22-year-old who's come off. A huge victory at a place like Ohio State. So I don't begrudge the kid for, for enjoying the reveling in the moment, guys. And as far as the apology goes, I'm not sure it was necessary, but I'm sure somebody told him to do it and uh, to appease some other people. But, again, uh, a great show of emotion by a great player.
0: Yeah, keep doing you. And man, I said, <laughs>
1: And I'll say this, the, the, the field turf had a, did a better job of stopping Baker than the, than the Buckeyes. There you go. <laughs> there it is. There it
2: is. Open <laughs> Well said.
0: All right, we'll end on that note, gentlemen. Uh, Ralph, thanks so much for joining us. A lot of good stuff. Tom, thanks as always, and uh, looking forward to, to week three and the rest of the season. Thank you, Thank Ralph.
1: You Thank you very much, Ralph. You're welcome, Tom. Any time.
0: Thanks again, Ralph. Thanks as always to Tom for joining me and thanks of course to Ralph Russo once again for jumping on and providing a lot of great insight and analysis into not just Big Ten football but the national landscape as well and like I mentioned at the top of the show we're going to try and bring in a national writer weekly join Tom and myself to to give us that national perspective and kind of expand the boundaries of all the Big Ten talk that we are accustomed to getting on a week in week out basis and we'll also be doing more uh non-football focused episodes with various guests could be football related could be basketball related could be anything big 10 related really we'll be continuing to put those out as often as we can as well so stay tuned for not just the football focused editions every wednesday but for just general take 10 podcast episodes as they're being released Thanks again to everyone out there for listening and thanks as always to Wes White for producing. One more reminder to subscribe and rate and review these episodes if you like the show. And we will talk to you next time on the Take 10 Podcast.